What is up? I'm Miguel Antonio, and you are listening to the Live and Create podcast. It's where I interview artists and entrepreneurs about what it means to live a great life and create great things. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd love for you to check out my band, Run With It. You can follow us at Run With It Band, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, all the places you follow people at. You can also check out our EP. It's called How to Start a Fire. It's on iTunes, Spotify, all the streaming services. You can check that out, Run With It Band again, or you can go to runwithitband.net. On today's episode, we have Bridget Callahan. Bridget has 21 years in the entertainment industry. What started out as a career in student activities at the Pennsylvania College of Technology has turned into a very career working with Metropolis Management as an agent, conference coordinator, and presenter to working with indie bands such as The States, Battle Circus, and the Brazilian Twins routing tours and as part of their creative teams. Bridget currently works as the entertainment coordinator for the Western Bradford County Rialto Theater in Canton, Pennsylvania. On today's episode, Bridget shares her story of navigating the entertainment industry and how that road has allowed her to bring her expertise back to the very town she grew up in. We talk creating an arts culture, the power of listening, merging art, entertainment, and business, and so much more. It's a great episode. Enjoy. The Live and Create Podcast. Now you, you know, getting to do all these really cool things work with all these different cool bands and being in the industry for so long, you know, over, I think you said 21 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. When I sat down and thought about it, I was like, Oh my gosh. And you've seen so many facets of it, like each side of it, which I always, it's always helped me. That's one, one reason you're such a go-to for me when I'm like needing uh, insight or advice. Cause I know you've seen, all the worlds you know what it's Uh like to care for the band you know what it's like to make sure the venues got what they need right exactly Um, where so can you unpack just how it started for you like how you even stepped into this entertainment world i was living in west pittston pennsylvania and i was dating a gentleman at the time long convoluted story but we decided we were going to move in together gotcha and and he lived in carlisle so i started looking for jobs down in carlisle and found um an assistant student activities position at penn state harrisburg okay so i was like okay and i was going back i when i graduated college i was a nanny to these two amazing now young women and their family was in Carlisle at the time and they were still young enough that um, I would drop them off at school. I would go to work for half a day because it was only part-time. They could only afford a part-time position. Then I would pick the girls up and I would take them to their, um, oh, I'd take them to their play dates and things like that because their dad was a teacher at the Army War College down in Carlisle. Okay. And their mother was a computer programmer for a contractor for the DOD. So um, I went down to Carlisle, moved in with him. Um, I had been on on the job not even a month when September 11th hit. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So in a lot of my, we were at the time the only other Penn State campus that had upperclassmen. That's who we dealt with. Juniors, seniors, and grad students. And a lot of my students were from the New New Jersey, New York City area. So I see. So that was like my big pain and fear, I imagine. Right, exactly. So um, that's how I got started in student activities. And when I was in student activities, I was, um, even when I was at Penn State Harrisburg, looking at these tours that people were putting these groups on and these entertainers on and it wasn't making sense to me in what way Um, well because tc the manager of the b twins calls me his rand mcnally he's like you're like a little atlas (laughs) so i can kind of look at things and especially um on the east coast and be like well why are you sending them four hours this way retracing them four hours plus two hours that way. Right. So I was seeing that and had talked to a couple people and was working with a band out of Wilkes-Barre. I had booked them at um, Penn State Harrisburg 
and became very good friends with their bass player, Pete Connors. And when I moved to Penn College, Pete moved bands. He's actually really encouraged me to get into doing this. The bands um, did? Working with him. And Pete did. Oh, Pete. I'm sorry about that. So Pete um, left the band, went to abandon um, West Palm Beach down in Florida band name one and my first my first foyer into it was when I was working at Penn State or Pennsylvania College of Technology I brought one up and put them on a little micro tour in Pennsylvania in uh, upstate New York that's awesome that's so, early, so early what? on you're you were already navigating both sides of the industry yeah, oh yeah so. and I didn't realize that about you even as long as we've known each other I, I guess I always thought it was more linear like you did the the director and you know behind the scenes person as far as at the venues or at the colleges and then switched mm -hmm. over so that's that's interesting that's really cool mm -hmm. yeah um and i can honestly say everything i've done in music since then has been because pete connor's encouraged me to do it you know and um encouraged me to really get into it and from then on i mean pete and i are still really good friends <laughs> And I've gone my way and just kind of done what I've been doing, which is just a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> well, and it's, I'm curious for you, um, what were some of the lessons you learned, uh, just kind of rewinding just a little bit, of starting off right, right in that campus activities role, which is part of like student support for the listener if they don't understand. Like you're there to, to serve the student community overall. And what, what were some lessons you learned by stepping into that right as 9-11 hit with people with direct connections to New York City itself? Um, being mindful, you never know what somebody else is carrying um, and making sure that every interaction you have, even if it's not a what somebody would say a pleasant interaction, do no harm you know don't it's so easy for us to get caught into an emotion and good bad or indifferent and just go with that emotion that we forget because we're so wrapped up in our emotions right how it's affecting the other person um so and listening really well hello really listening <laughs> Your cat, um, your, your cat definitely wants to be in the picture. Like for all the listeners, yeah. you're missing out. This, yeah, this gorgeous cat jumping in front of the camera. <laughs> yeah, the 22 pound dog cat that I have. 22 pounds, my God. <laughs> yeah, when he sits up, his head comes to my knee. He's a big boy. On our next oh. East Coast run, we will definitely have to find a way to stop by in person and take a selfie with the 22 pound cat. That sounds amazing. Yes, he's, he's He's a little beast. He's my gentleman. Um, but, but listening, really, you know, you're really talking about listening. how listening yeah. hits you. Um, That's what's been interesting for me as I've stepped into the agent role. Um, you know, I think I've talked to you a little bit about that, where mm -hmm. I've transitioned to also booking for other artists. Um, and it's I've learned so many things just a very short year, like just it feels like every day I might as well start writing a book of all the lessons that are like things I wish now I would have known 20 years ago. I probably would have been a much better band leader and a much better, you know, asset to our agents that we worked with. <laughs> um, but honestly, that listening piece and leading with questions has been one of the most vital and valuable things. I always thought that they that uh, people who are like buyers or clients, as we call them in, in our arena. Um, I always thought they wanted us to have the answers and we just tell them what, what they need and, and how it works. Like, that's just kind of how I thought, I thought that was helping them, yeah. but come to yeah. find out, you know, like even right now I have a text that just popped to me today where I text, uh, funny enough for bands who are listening, I'm booking a lot of gigs through just texting period. Um, I don't know if it's the same experience for you anymore. <laughs> Most people don't even, it doesn't even matter if they're 60 or if they're 20, like they don't even want to talk on the phone. But I, it was a list of six questions, some standard questions now that I'm, I'm constantly leading with. And, you know, they got 
immediately back to me with the the details. I'm like, okay, now I can actually help them because now I understand, you know, what they need uh, more mm-hmm. and, and better. So it's, yeah, that listening piece is so huge. Did, and um, another, oh, go ahead. One of the big things that jumped out to me early on is buyers don't necessarily know how to advertise and fans don't think they should have to advertise. <laughs> yep. Because the buyer bought me. So the buyer's responsible for everything. Mm-hmm. And the buyer, bands might not be, or music, entertainment might, might not even be their primary. It might be some poor person who, HR just came to him and said, hey, you're in charge of the conference this year. Here's the information. <laughs> That's you a know, lot of our clients. Right. Our you know, and um, it just, it always just amazed me. Um, even the look of disgust I would get when I would say to a band, you know, how about we do this? Well, no, the buyer does that. I was like, okay, well, when you get two people at your show, I don't want you complaining to me. Right. You know, um, because if, and it's also something that I've taken away on who I decide to work with or not. If somebody doesn't care enough about their own product, that they're willing to put that into their own product. Right. Then how, why am I supposed to care more about their product than they do? Absolutely. So yeah, those were the two big things I learned really early on. That's cool. And it, it hits me too, where I think a lot of artists early on can have this mindset that, you know, once they get an agent or they get this thing, they can just let off the gas in a way. But in a sense, it's almost like you need to push harder. And, uh, and instead of seeing it, like, I think it's important to see all those things as a partnership. Like I'm partnering with this manager, I'm partnering with this agent, um, that mm-hmm. perspective, because it, now, especially I, like that's driven home even more now as an agent, because, you know, there's bands that, you know, they I'm sure they don't have that perspective that I work with and I'll book them. It's not like I'll be punitive, but I tell you what, the ones that feel like they're partnering with me and they're sending me material and they're sending me details and they're on top of it and they text me immediately. Yeah, you sure as hell better know those are the ones I'm I'm reaching out to first. You know, it's just it makes my oh, yeah. life easier. So I I think as an artist, you know. Um, and the, of course you got to see it on both ends. So how valuable from the beginning, but as well, artists in general, just having that perspective, like how do you partner with these people who are on your team? And, and as a buyer, you know, there was, there was an incident once where I had, um, a band that I, a local regional band that was gaining traction came in and I was at the NACA national conference. So for people who don't know who NACA is, it's the National Association of Campus Activities and they had a national conference and it was in Nashville that year because I remember getting the call. And it was a student who said that this group who had professed how much they wanted to work with me had done the show, but they had caught somebody doing cocaine. Oh shit. And for listeners in the rock world, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, uh, that can be a common thing. But on campuses, it's they, not. that's a huge no-no. Like, right, it's, exactly. <laughs> they're very clear about so that kind of thing. After a 13-hour drive to Nashville, I get this phone call as I'm trying to fall asleep before going into this conference. And I called the band and I was like, you're done. With yep. NACA, you're, I said, I'm not, my name's already attached to you guys. And as far as I'm concerned, anybody comes to me for a reference, it's not going to be a good one because I'm going to tell them exactly what happened. Right. And, you know, it, it's disrespectful. I was like, as a, I was both a person who, this student organization had come to me and said, we know you know these guys. Can you help us bring them in? And I went to bat for them as a buyer, thinking that they would be professional enough to realize that on a college campus, you wouldn't do something like that. Right. 
Um, and I paid them, you know, well, not me, but I, it was like the organization I was it paid them. How does. Oh, it broke up right there. Right after you said you paid them, it broke That's up okay. on us. Um, I said, that's just disrespectful. So it's the, the group and entertainer showing respect to the people who are booking and trying to help them. And also the, the buyer, you need to show the buyer respect. And sometimes that gets lost in translation. <laughs> right. Well, and I, what I love about that too, is it highlights, it's something that I've always seen in you is this idea of, of the long-term win. You know, and it's about mm -hmm. building longstanding relationships because this this industry, I think, more than most is driven off of relationships. And, you know, right. you could have done the short term. OK, maybe I could get them in a few more things, but then it screws up all the other things you're trying to do. And, and now that you're sitting on a 21 year career and in some ways, they're, I think you still what's that? And they're not. Yeah, exactly. And it, and you have so much ahead of you, uh, even starting this new program with what you're doing up there in Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, it's that long-term win that I think too many people miss, especially in this mm -hmm. industry. It's like, how can we, how can we rush to like get this thing as far as that perspective? And again, like even you and I, I mean, how long have we been friends now? Like it's mm. over five, at least over five years, I would say. Yeah. Something like that. 2016, 2017. It was right. like late 2016, early two, 2017. Yeah, that sounds right. And it's like just the way seeing you and what you're building and the way you navigate um, leaving and starting and doing all sorts of things in the industry seems to be still focused on this long-term perspective. Was that something naturally that came to you or was that also something that someone else spoken to you along the way? Um, I think it was honestly just the way I was raised. Um, I was fortunate enough, I had two amazing parents. Um, and my parents, my dad was originally, well, no, not originally. He was originally born in Philadelphia and he ended up in Canton in World War II okay. because they were living in Boston and the German boats off the shore. His mother didn't want them near the coast. So she moved back to where, she brought the family back to where she had grown up. Wow. Um, but my dad was always like, you don't have to, even if you do not like somebody that does not give you the right to be mean. Hmm. It gives you the right to stand up for yourself. Right. It gives you the right to not be around them, but it doesn't give you the right to tear them down. And I mean, I struggled with that because there was a brief period of time that there are some of your, some of your listeners are going to know who I'm talking about. Her name was Banshee and she was a bitch. She was such a bitch. I Put it on blast. Yes. Yes. She, she is the epitome of my alter ego. Okay. And, I'm not even familiar. Oh, she was such a bitch. <laughs> I couldn't stand her and she was me. <laughs> you know, um, so in my early 20s, I struggled with that a bit. But as I got older, I realized that and just seeing my parents, because I moved back to make sure they were able to stay home in their home, um, just to see how that's just how they were. You know, and even when they, because I grew up in a dairy farm, so there was lots of times I was poor and I didn't know I was poor. Right. But how they just handled everything with such grace and style and humor and things like that. I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's the lesson I need to learn. That's huge. That, it's yeah. funny because it's, um, it's been fresh in my brain, but I don't know if you watch This Is Us. Mm -hmm. And I, I love it. Um, it's people make fun of me, especially in the rock world that I love this, but it's, to me, it's a, a beautifully written show and Taylor and Goldsmith, hitting, Taylor Goldsmith, right Mandy. Yeah. yeah. Mandy Moore's husband. He writes some of the music, which he's one of my favorite songwriters, but I, I don't know if you saw, did you see the last episode? I don't want to spoil it for you if you're watching it with no, uh, about Miguel. 
Yeah. Okay. Spoiler alert. If you're watching, this is us, uh, listener, <laughs> but I think it was interesting because here you have this character who was basically a shitty dad and a shitty husband. And that's really all we've known about him for like four seasons. And then for them to rewind the clock and you find out like him seeing him as an immigrant at eight years old and what it took for his family and what it meant for his family to come to America, what it meant for him in his mind to succeed. It was like, it was that, it was a beautiful like merging of, it doesn't excuse his actions by any means, you know, and he suffered those consequences throughout his life. But it also gave like this level of empathy to the character to understand like in his mind, from where he came from, he thought he was doing the best things. Um, And so that's what's interesting where it's like, I think sometimes we go so hard right or left in the sense of not politically there, but like in the sense of like, I'm just going to be so accepting and not call it out when someone's a bitch, right? Like you were saying, (laughs) but... Yeah, I was calling myself out as a bitch. I was. <laughs> or, or like the other side where we're just, we hold everyone like with so much anger, you know, but it's like being able to acknowledge like, no, this was wrong. Here's the reasons. Like, how can we find grace? How, how can we find love and move forward? And I'm not always good at that. Even to this day, I still wrestle with it. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, even that episode stirred a lot of shit for me where I'm talking through things and like even just share with my wife how it like affected me but but i think it really is the more and more i go and the people i meet who have seemed to master that they seem a hell of a lot more happy and productive in life (laughs) yeah yeah um it was it was weird because so we had brought my dad home on hospice and i had him sitting out on the front porch Mm -hmm. and like I said, we grew up, I grew up on a dairy farm, but I did not know I was poor until I went to college hmm. at all. Um, part of it was because a lot of other people were dairy farmers around me. And part of it was because that wasn't a, that wasn't a thing. Money wasn't a thing. Do you have a house? Do you have a home? Do you have a family? Do you have love? Those were the things. Right. And he had made a comment and he was just like, you know, Maybe I made some wrong choices. Maybe we would have been better if I made different choices. And I was like, hmm, yeah, maybe, but maybe if you didn't, if you had made those choices, we wouldn't be together right now. So true. You know, so yeah, my parents were awesome. (laughs) So that's where I was. It sounds like they created an incredible environment, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what we've been processing. Like even our oldest is about to start college. Uh, We just came back from the Dominican for his graduation uh, trip, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. And we still have three more in the house that we got to get out eventually, (laughs) Um, which will be some time. But that's what we keep processing. Like what, what does make good parenting, you know? And it's like, and even as I read studies and, and go through all these different things and trying to, I guess, like break down different ideas of good parenting, it does seem like the environment you create seems to be the most important piece, not the hours mm-hmm. you put in, not the money you have, you know, like some of those things can be nice, um, but not necessarily the end all. And there's a, there's a guy I've been listening to a lot named Naval. He's an investor, but he also talks about like holistic wealth. And um, he, how did he say it? He's like, it's like a healthy mind, a healthy body and a happy home are three things that money can't buy. Mm-hmm. And that, just really that is something I remind myself like every day in this chase that I'm on, you know? Well, in the healthy boundaries that my parents had not only set up for my brother and I, but also for our friends. Yeah. Like anybody was welcome in this house. Hmm. You do something out of line. Judy's going to let you know. <laughs> if you do something really out of line, Judy's going to let you know, and she's going to let your parents know too. Right. Because you, you, you're better than that. So as a matter of fact, in my mom's obituary, part of it was how they created this home, not only for their children, but for the veritable misfits of friends that they became, that became family, you know? <laughs> so yeah. I um, love that. And I wonder so Oh, so go ahead. I'm sorry. I cut no, you no. I said it is so true. 
Well, seeing you work with artists, like I got to the conference we were at out in, mm -hmm. uh, in, was it Harrisburg or Har Har yeah. Harrisburg? How do you say it right? Harrisburg. 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 Yeah. Harrisburg. Harrisburg and Lancaster. Lancaster. Lunc <laughs> that was the one everyone was giving me shit about. Because <laughs> I, I think I was like Lancaster or something. Yeah. <laughs> Lancaster. Lanc <laughs> I'll let you say it. What is it? Lancaster. 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 See, Lanc I still struggle. Lanc I practiced all week while I was there. Every like I would perform in bars and they're trying to explain to me and at the yeah conference. Anyways, seeing you work with artists in the way that you connect with people. Um, a lot of artists, it's almost like we're misfits in a way, you know, we all mm -hmm. kind of think differently, see the world differently. Um, do you feel like they're modeling that just kind of like seeped into you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I understand the privilege I had growing up the way I grew up as I'm older now. When you're younger, of course, you know, it's, we're brats. There's right. very few kids, anybody up to the age of 18, even up to the age of 25, we are little brats. Yeah. Kids can be assholes. Yeah. And, 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 and it, you know, parents can be assholes. It's all right. right. <laughs> you know, um, but it was just that The poorest people can treat you well and give you everything they have. And the richest people can treat you like shit and give you absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. And vice versa. And it can switch so many different scenarios. But to just always know that just because something looks perfect really isn't. And something right. that might not look like it could be an opportunity, could be the biggest opportunity you have. You just have to look at mm. everything and look at it and process it as an opportunity. Like, what is this? And now look at the trappings of it. Right. Like how much money, the agency, the tour, the, you know, don't look at the trappings of it. Look at, okay, the sincerity of, um, those that are involved in it. Mm -hmm. And um, with my community, it's still a very small rural community and there's still not a lot of opportunities around here. So I'm hoping that as I move forward, I can bring opportunities and different ways of different ideas and different thought processes and different entertainment and things into the community and give people an opportunity that might not necessarily have had one but not because they didn't feel like they needed it. How do I want to say this? Just bring more to the world to them without making them feel like I'm doing them a favor. I'm not, I'm just, I just wanna, I just, I wanna have fun in the community I'm in. Right. So how do I have fun? How do I have fun, Miguel? And then invite them into the fun. Right. You know, <laughs> and invite them in and know that when they come in, I don't care where they are in the status of the community, come in and have fun and enjoy each other and be respectful. Right. You know, and be conscious of being respectful, but have fun and smile and joke and don't have the resting bitch face when we're driving down the street, you know, have a smile on your face, <laughs> which I, I do consciously at times find that uh, banshee face setting in the on banshee. me. Yeah. While I'm driving. <laughs> so I make a conscious effort to, okay, smile. And people, people look at me like I'm insane. I see the right. side. I like, what is she up to? <laughs> but it just makes if you smile, it makes things easier. Right. Well, it's interesting because it can even change your, your demeanor. You mm -hmm. know, like it, it sounds super weird, but there's times like I come out a very intense and crazy day and I'm getting ready to roll into a show, which involves a lot of like, you know, talking to people and engaging with people and needing to care for people, blah, 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 all that stuff. And it's the last thing I want to do. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad I get it. I'm not complaining by any means, but 
there's days where you just roll into that environment and you're like, I do not want to be here. I'd rather be at home staring at the wall or whatever it is. And there are, I find myself just like forcing a smile in my car just to like, almost like tell my brain, Hey bro, you need to let go whatever this shit is that you're holding on to. (laughs) And like nine times out of 10, I find that it slowly helps lift my mood and helps me feel lighter uh, to where I can go and engage. And, and it's like all that shit you can deal with later. It'll still be there tomorrow. You know, <laughs> you can still work right. on it then. <laughs> right. Forcing yourself to smile is to me is like forcing yourself to go to the gym. Yeah. You don't really want to do it right before you do it. You really don't. <laughs> then you're glad you did when you finally. Did. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, because whatever mood we're in right before we smile, the makes us not want to smile it's not a pleasant one and we like staying in like when I was I was a drug and alcohol counselor for one of my many different parts of my life and I heard this counselor once say and he said it to me he's like don't you know you're not allowed to play in your head without adult supervision (laughs) and I was like Oh, and it made me so mad because, you know, I just, I felt righteous in how I was feeling. And I was right. like, you know what? He's right. It just, you just, it's too short to take things too seriously. That's so true. It's funny because we're working on a song. One of the songs are getting prepped for 2023 as a band. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, the song is centered around the concept of being stuck in your mind and how, where that drives you. And Cause I know for me personally, that's where I can get stuck a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but then realizing most of those things are spent like creating a bunch of false scenarios that like when you finally have the conversation with the person or finally step out into the activity, whatever it is, you find out none of it was true and you just wasted a lot of fucking time and energy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And COVID didn't help any of us with that. Not at all. You know? Um, and I, who was I talking with? I was talking with a friend of mine and was just like, you know what? I just now, actually it was yesterday after I got my hair cut and colored. So I wouldn't look archaic. And I was like, this is the first time since March of 2020. I feel like myself, Hmm. like part of that's coming back. And it was just because of with March, 2020, everything started happening with mom. And then right. here I am. And I'm, I'm, some people are going to think it's weird. I'm living in the house I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So November, 2020 happens and mom passes away. And then I'm in this house that has all these memories, you know, and then I start replaying the memories but I'm morphing them on how I was a bad daughter, <laughs> which gotcha. is all just the stuff in your head. But so all, all the regrets start getting really right. loud instead of the beautiful times that were there. Right. So I started to redo the house and make it my own. And big hmm. thing is the David right behind me. I like that. Too. You know, Mike Debus painted that for me. Nice. And, um, just understanding that the past is the past and the good is the good and it's okay to make a life for yourself. And if anybody ever makes you feel bad for making a life for yourself, making yourself feel good, get as far away from them as possible. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You know? So, yeah. Well, and that's, you know, COVID, I think so many people dealt with loss, you know, loss of finances and then loss of close family members, kind of like the journey you're taking in it. And in a way, I almost wonder, I'm lucky enough that both of my parents are alive. Uh, Most recently lost my grandparents and, Mm -hmm. and I've watched my mom kind of go through this. It's almost like you have to learn how to operate in a new way. Mm-hmm. because they're not there. And I, I don't know if that's something you've been walking in yourself, then compounded with living in the actual house you grew up in. Yeah, it is. It's um, walking in a new way. And I hate it when people say, oh, it'll, things will go back to normal. Because that's my normal is mom and dad here. Right. And that's not going to happen again. So my new normal has mm-hmm. to, I have to learn how to navigate this new normal 
but how do I want this to look? Right. So I hang pictures of Prince and David Bowie in my dining room. And, <laughs> um, I have shiny silver lame tablecloths. And, you know, I, <laughs> I make it fun and quirky and try to navigate and know that no matter what, I did my best with what I had and it was appreciated. Absolutely. And then from here, taking each next step, you know, and mm -hmm. I think that's as I process, you know, my own career, those are things I, my, both my producer and I, Matt Richards, he's also our new guitarist of the band. Mm -hmm. uh, I look forward to you being able to meet him. But yes. um, that's one thing we were catching ourselves in the studio saying constantly, I wish I would have known this back when I wish I would have known this. And I think it was him who was like, bro, you did it. But you do now. Right. Like and it was a, a really good moment. And he even said like I he caught it in himself saying all the time. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. That's that's what it was. <laughs> and and so now now we have this information. We can take the steps we need to do now. And honestly, hopefully in 10 years from now, there'll be things that I'll be thinking like, oh, I'm glad I know this now. You know, like hopefully I keep learning <laughs> new shit and, and growing right. and, and progressing. And that, and that, I've, I've found in some interactions that I've had throughout the years, for some reason, and I know I believed it for a while, I was supposed to have all the answers by a certain age. And then if of you course. don't have the answers by a certain age, then you feel like you're a failure on some level. Right. But they don't talk about continuously learning throughout your life. Mm -hmm. And you can learn anything new throughout your life. So keep, keep learning. Right. And that, <clears throat> yeah. And the, the worst thing I think can happen is if I, if I were to look back and be like, oh, I wish I'd known that now, you know, but then I did the same thing that I did back then instead of doing what I now know I should be doing now, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I've referenced it on the podcast a few times now, though, but it was it was a very, very high Mike Tyson on the Joe Rogan podcast where he did an interview with him. And mm -hmm. uh, I think he was, you know, he's like, what, in his 60s or something at this point. And mm -hmm. he actually said something to the fact of, you know, the moment I understand myself fully, I'm dead. And he's like, I'm on a constant quest to grow. Mm -hmm. And Again, just hit me. I'm sorry. I apologize to the listener. They probably heard me talk about this like three or four times now. <laughs> but is that that concept that really hit me? Because I'm like, and it's probably where I'm at. And that's why I connected so deeply. But but it's like the moment we feel like we have all the answers. Well, you're pretty much okay. You're you're done. Like you're mm -hmm. dead then. What else is left? Right. And, exactly. And life, the world's so big. You know, especially like being in the entertainment industry for both of us, there's so many opportunities. Like most of the days it's spent like stressing out because there's eight directions I could go because those are all the opportunities, which is a great problem to have, you know? And so it's like, all right, so just focus on one now and then you'll still have seven more later, Miguel. Like <laughs> figure that exactly. out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I love and that it, constant evolution mindset. And be open to where opportunities arise. Mm -hmm. So very rural farming community grew up in. When I graduated high school, I was never coming back. Okay. I was like most of us, visit. you know, right? We're yeah. like, we will not come back to this town. <laughs> right. You know, never coming back. I'll come back to visit. And then made a decision. Well, I accepted a job at Penn State or Pennsylvania College of Technology and moved back to the area while I was looking for an apartment in Williamsport. And then after I moved to Williamsport, my parents became ill. So I, then I made the decision to come back to Canton and live here. But then everything was in Williamsport. You know, I slept in Canton. I made sure everything my parents needed, they had. And then when they were gone, all of a sudden, tried to go back to counseling, working counseling and realized that was not where I needed to be anymore. And then this opportunity, they, the theater was looking for somebody right. and it was a part-time job. And I was like, well, it could be fun, you know, part-time. 
And then they got bought by a new nonprofit. And then they asked me to come on full time. And I never thought I would find my dream job in Canton. <laughs> the, the one place you did not want to come back to. Exactly. <laughs> you know, what is so, it? it's kind of amazing, though, uh, even some of the ideas you shared with me. It's like all the experiences you've had leaving and not wanting to come back, you now get to bring back to the town yeah. to make it maybe right. something that someone else will actually connect with. Right, exactly. And that's. I used I it wasn't it wasn't that I hated the town. I just didn't feel connected to the town. Hmm. Um I have a, I've become friends with an older lady. Graduated her son graduated a year ahead of me and when she was telling her son that you know we were going out to dinner he's like, "Oh yeah, Bridget, she always danced, she always marched to her own little beat." <laughs> you know, and that was back in high school. You know, when you, the last thing you want to do is stand out and be different. <laughs> Right. So um, to be able to come back and like, I guess I just want to sh- just want to make this the best little community it can be in the theater, the best little theater it can be and be able to be like, here, now this is yours. That's awesome. Run with it. You know? I love it. The, for you when you first started, like, cause well, you said something earlier, I'm trying to form this question <laughs> out loud as I go, you had said something earlier about things that don't look like the opportunity could be the biggest one. Um, mm-hmm. one so they offer the part-time, then they get bought out that kind of trajectory. Where along the route did you realize this was the big opportunity you were looking for? So when I was, we, the theater was owned by a, um, Arts Council, nonprofit Arts Council that owns two other theaters, um, and they were they were wonderful stewards. Okay, so it was the Bradford County Regional Arts Council in Bradford County, Pennsylvania. Okay, owned three historical theaters. Um, they purchased the theater in 1993, 94. Like I think the purchase started in 93, finished in 94 renovated it, it's gorgeous, cute little theater. It is small, it's 154 seats. Um, and they were just looking for somebody to manage the movies in this theater. Yeah. And I was like, well, I was still working as a counselor at the time. And I was like, well, it gives me something fun to do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Not that being, people who are counselors, God love them yeah. because they, I don't have the ability as I got older to separate some of the things that were going on. Yeah, that's a hard And one. yeah, so they offered me this job and I took it and we were doing some different type of events there. And then the Arts Council had to make a very difficult decision, you know, because the movies, let's face it, movies aren't making money for anybody really right now. Right. Um, especially if you're a movie theater. So they had an interested group of people had approached a nonprofit in Canton about reforming so that they could, or how do I want to say it, realigning so that they could purchase this theater back and keep it in Canton. Because when I say Canton's a small town, there's one intersection for traffic lights. We have eight of them there because there was a grant to put up traffic lights. <laughs> um, That's amazing. You got two going in each direction at the four-way intersection. And it's the safest intersection in Pennsylvania, my friend. It is. And um, when I give directions, it's amazing. I'm like, get on 14 North. When you hit the red light, you're in Canton. <laughs> Will I see it? Oh, you'll see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Trust me. It's the only red light you'll see. (laughs) Um, So the theater is this little gem for the community. And to have that taken out of the community would have been a big disservice to the community. And this group of interested people really, 
understood that and believed that. And there was a long history with a couple of members of, you know, like their families had been involved with the theater way back. Um, and really wanting to make sure that, okay, let's, let's us see what we can do with it. How can we transform this into not just a movie theater anymore, but something that's a community hub. Right. So the board of the executive directors is the most supportive, amazing group of people. And they, for whatever reason, really truly believe in me and <laughs> have given me so many opportunities and so much support, even in the short, because the sale was effective January 1st. So okay. even in this small little time, like, they're like, here, here you go. How do you think we should do this? How do you, you know, um, willing to hold off grand reopening until after a month after I had my knee surgery, That's um, awesome. just so that, that I could willing be part to of it. Oh yeah. And just really want to see this theater succeed and be able, I literally, I'm calling it the biggest little theater in Pennsylvania because that's what I'm going to turn it into. That's You awesome. know, one of those cozy little clubs that comedians and hypnotists and bands want to play because it's 154 seats. That's it. And you get to interact with your audience and they get mm -hmm. to interact with you. And the more they can interact with you, the more they walk out thinking, oh my gosh, that was amazing. You know, and how do we, what do we do to be able to be, do more of this? And <laughs> well, it's funny on tour and I've heard other bands share very, very similar things that sometimes it's not the Chicago or the New York city show that was like super lit. It was some random show you booked in a very small town, just on the way back home. You know, like one place I'm thinking of is Fremont, Nebraska, a little bigger than your town, but not much. <laughs> and I, it was a random bar that was just a pickup gig to make a little extra money on the way back home. And mm -hmm. next thing you know, it started like a three, four year relationship until they finally, during COVID, they had closed down uh, permanently. But um, where we got to know the owner really well, we got to know people in the community who came out. Like it's just, and they were describing it as like, there's not much going on. So if you come out here and provide a really cool show and connect with people, you got like fans for life. You know, like there's people oh, yeah. literally from there that still follow us to this day. And yeah, oh. it can be such a huge impact. The small little venues um, that people don't often think about that can be, cause it's, it's not necessarily the, how many people it's like the depth of connection. Right. Oh yeah. And so there's this, group of friends in the community that have children who are very involved in the school district and very involved in sports and all these things and are becoming very involved in the theater and the children's ages i think are from six to maybe 13. Mm -hmm. and to see those kids come into the theater now they're starting to learn the history of the theater they're starting That's to learn the history of we have these beautiful murals. There's six murals, three on each side that line the theater as you go down, down mm. towards the stage. And they were painted by a, a famous portrait artist, Scott Griswold Sr., um, who, was, who grew up in Canton. Nice. And he painted these, and these were all Canton during Canton's heyday. Because Canton used to be this hub. We had the railroad. Minnequa Springs was here, which was these springs of water that supposedly had medicinal purposes. Okay. So you would have celebrities coming in and you would have the circus wintered in Canton. Okay. Random, nice. you know, like things <laughs> like that. So he's it's painted, a rich history. Right. So he's painted these beautiful murals of the heyday of Canton. And these kids are learning it. And they're telling their friends about it and they're bringing them in and they're having fun and they're enjoying the bands and just the more I can, the more I can work with the executive directors and work with the school districts to get the kids more involved in the theater, mm -hmm. 
the more that theater is going to last forever. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's just, it's fun. Oh my goodness. It's so fun to see the kids come in. Uh, I had this little boy come in for a birthday party and he was showing every little kid in the birthday party, all the murals and telling them the history better than I knew. it. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. Seven year old birthday really cool. party. <laughs> Well, it's funny, I'm getting ready to go back uh, to my hometown, uh, fairly small town in Kansas City, or I'm sorry, in Kansas, and we're playing a big 4th of July, you know, festival, and I got a call from somebody who I went to school with, who they didn't ever want to move back there either, was kind of their perspective, which is most small town, like when you grow up in a small town, majority of people are like, I'm never coming back, it's just what you do. And uh, it was interesting because he's there now and he's involved in like the local politics. He's like a business owner and he's like, here I am doing this thing. But I just thought to myself, why not help cultivate the city I wish it would have been? And Mm -hmm. why not cultivate a thing that to where my kids, if they do want to leave, cool, I support them, but they don't feel like they have to. And and so that was cool to be part of of that, you know, and be brought in for that perspective because it's like. It's like, yeah, if you can see all these opportunities in front of you, how inspiring it could be. And just to know, like, for those who maybe just don't get exposed to the world, to have all these people coming to you. Right. show you different perspectives. Right. Like, even down to minimum, like, it's, I, I'm really grateful because I feel like my kids, you know, like, the, it was hilarious because one of his teachers, they asked, what do you want to be? And he says, I want to be a YouTuber. And she's like, well, you can't make a living doing that. And... <laughs> It's literally what this teacher said and I, and I'm dying laughing. And he like, in a sense, I wonder if he was laughing because he's like, well, I'm around my dad and all of his friends like make a living, you know, doing magic tricks on stage or telling jokes on stage or making videos online or yeah. Or so yeah, like, it's like, don't listen to that bullshit. Like, you know, like you, it's just someone who doesn't understand. Maybe she hasn't been exposed to it. Maybe she's bitter. I don't know what it is. I don't know her story. So, but it was just funny to me. And I think I'm, I'm glad I could expose them to that and they can see all these avenues, like whichever direction you want to go, it's possible. Yeah. Work your ass off. But I imagine like that boy who you said was sharing the murals and maybe he comes sees a comedian and that inspires him. He's like, this is actually a really valid thing. Maybe I could do that one day. And Mm -hmm. now we have, you know, and, 20 years, we have another great comedian in the world. Who knows? Who knows? But I think that's really exciting to hear. And like I said, the executive board, so there's the executive board, and then we have an advisory board. And the advisory board are a bunch of people in the community who have volunteered to come in and help be volunteers for events and to help supplement events throughout the year at the theater. I cannot believe I get to work with such an amazing group of people, you know, um, that are all really dedicated to understanding it's going to take some work, Hmm. but this is the end game is to make this theater. It's already been around since 1912. Right. Let's, the building has been around since 1912. It's been used as a theater from 1912 to 1976. And from 1976 to 1993, it was a church building. And now it's a theater again. Hmm. Let's make sure it stays as a theater. Yeah. And let's make sure, you know, we have people. Okay, so the Rand McNally and me, and this is for all the musicians, all the artists out there that might be listening. If you're around Canton, Pennsylvania, and within four hours from me, call me. If I can get you into the theater for a one-off show, like what you were talking about, right. you know, someplace just to get you home, I will do whatever I can to help you out That's because awesome. I need to make in order, they've put so much faith in me that in order for me to feel like I'm doing my job, I need to make sure that I'm constantly looking to bring in different opportunities for them. That's really cool. I love it. Well, I, I'm inspired by it. I've always been inspired by you. I learned a lot from you. So I, I got two mm-hmm. more questions though, as we okay. lay in the plane on this one, uh, based off the podcast, live and create. So right now, uh, the first of the last two questions <laughs> right now, um, how would you define living a great life? Hmm. 
Don't take yourself too seriously. Don't wait for tomorrow and enjoy every moment. That's it. it. And knowing your story and the a little bit glimpse that you just gave the listener of what you've been through over the last few years, I that comes with so much power of of walking with your mom, you know, walking with your dad through this and rebuilding after they're gone. And to hear you say those things is so powerful. That's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. For the, for the last closing question, right now in your life, how would you define creating great things? Never overlooking an opportunity. Hmm. Um, Not getting caught in trappings of what things are supposed to look like. And leading with wanting to do, to leave a good spot, good mark whether it be art, whether it be music, whether it be an act at the theater, whether it be, you know, just an interaction, being conscious of whatever I'm creating, because whether it be a relationship or an event or anything, walk away knowing you did no harm. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Well, let everyone know, uh, especially uh, as you said, if they're in the they're in the area close to where you're at, um, or you know whatever kind of opportunity, how to get a hold of you uh, if they they want to talk shop or talk business. Okay, you can reach me at um, Canton. That's C as in cat, A as in apple, N as in Nancy, T as in Tom, O as in oops, N as in Nancy. <laughs> Rialto, R, I, A is in Apple, L is in Love, T is in Tom, O is in Oops, Theater, T H E A T R E. We use the European spelling theater. at gmail.com. Okay. Or you can call me at, email me and we'll give you the okay. number. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. And that's why I always throw it to to the guests because it's like I I have one guest uh, who's not even really a public figure at all. He's not in the entertainment industry. He's just a he's a behind the scenes business guy, um, and he's going to be kind of a regular feature because he's a guy that we dig deep on like details and questions. And we mm-hmm. got to end of his his podcast. I was like, do you even want people to contact you? <laughs> you know, he was like, cause it's like, you're not living this life. You don't want it. But, uh, he, he was like, yeah, just hit me on LinkedIn. We'll, we'll do that. But, uh, no, that's cool. I will, yeah. I will add that in there and, uh, we'll thank you. And for I'm, on the time. LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. If they want to get in touch with me on LinkedIn as well. Yeah. So. It's a huge resource. Um, yeah, someone recently, someone recently told me, uh, they tell bands to ignore that, ignore it. And I was like, Ooh, I don't think you should. I, you know, it's just his experience at the moment. And when I explained to him what I've been seeing, even my own, as well as I know people booking, like, I think uh, one of my friends had like almost a 20,000 plus gig come out of being on LinkedIn. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was like, oh, shit. He's like, maybe I need to start looking (laughs) at it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, My cousin does. She actually helps helps people develop their LinkedIn presence. Nice. And she was she was an event coordinator and a salesperson for hello florida for years Brilliant. and when COVID hit um yeah that happened so she started doing this and for business and the thing with entertainment it's entertainment yes but it's business yep business it's so, the marriage marriage of art entertainment and business and they're all three different things right that can be combined but definitely right. three different things and on LinkedIn, they can be combined so people can see your presence. Right. Like the bigger corporate corporate work will pay a lot of money and they oh, pay yeah. well. And in the, because they've worked hard and they want to make sure that they got the best coming in for whatever event they're doing. But to overlook LinkedIn, I think would be a huge disservice. Absolutely. And it's funny too, like we could probably start a whole other podcast off this one, but I'm finding that the corporate gigs and some of the private gigs that a lot of rock bands would scoff at and what I think in the beginning as our band, we would scoff at, um, not only are you getting paid better, 
Um, but you actually are making real fans in those contexts. Mm -hmm. uh, and it usually happens in between because a lot of people, if they like what you're doing, the product you've, you've created, mm -hmm. they'll ask you, do you do your own music? And we're like, oh yeah, check it out right here. And you can follow us here and here's the flyer. And next thing you know, you got people following you and connecting because they're, they're real people too. Who like right. music, so <laughs> right and don't and don't ever get caught up in the idea that you know it's you're selling corporate corporate can oh, it, give you an, your finances so you can do what you really want to do it uh it broke up and i think what you were gonna say is gonna be super vital so uh it's like don't get caught up in and then it just started breaking up okay don't get caught up in the idea that somebody that as an entertainer, I would be selling out by going at a corporate event because corporate events can pay enough that makes you as an artist be able to do what you want to do on a full-time basis. Mm -hmm. And you do the corporate gigs and build your product, which is so hard if you're not, if you're relying on clubs, mm -hmm. festivals to make your money, which is more important, the art or the money? Because I would go with getting paid a little bit more and being able to not have to worry about having a day job. Right. Then you can write even more and then you can right. actually afford to Cute advertise videos. your original music. And yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the hard lessons I learned. Though That was one of those ones. If I would have known this, back, <laughs> but it's like, you know what, Miguel, just do it now. Just do it now. It's okay. Um, yeah. Like, well, maybe down the road, uh, we'll have to have you back on and we could just go, uh, maybe we could get TC on, uh, cause I know he's, yeah. he's brilliant at that stuff too. And we could just riff on that for a while. And, and hopefully there'll be some younger artists who will be like, okay, I could do that. And then life will be a lot easier for him than it was for me. Sounds good. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this. Thank you for listening to the Live and Create podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe and leave a comment or a review. The Live and Create podcast.